Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Welcome to DBR Racing Products, the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage, specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all. They've developed ProPeg mounts that allow you to use TRX450R Nerf bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, visit their website at www.dbratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DBR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, SCORE, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation 
and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. together 
to make an even better machine. I can't wait to see what your machine's going to come out to be like because it's completely ground up. Right? Absolutely. It's ground up frame, ground up build. Um, you know, the, the CRF450X motor, it's, it's going to be the, the most modern thing out there. And that's, that's what's really great. You know, you guys are in the three-wheeler mix more than I am. It seems like everything is West Coast. What's going on on the East Coast that we're not getting to see a lot of? I've been back there a few times to race uh, at Ashtabula particularly. And, uh, man, the, the turnouts are getting for that race. That's the oldest running ATV race in the world. Right. They don't have any documentation. Does they know of? <laughs> yeah, there's no documentation of a, a race that has been going on every single year for, I think we're on their 55th now. Um, nowhere in the world does they have documentation of a race every year for 55 years. And so going back there is special, and they make a big thing about it, but the turnout is, is impressive. Uh, I mean, I've never been anywhere where you have 300 race prep three-wheelers ready to hit the track at any given time. Awesome. And uh, it's a different style of racing. It's a race style of racing that is, that is TT, and I'm no expert on TT. I uh, tried to do my best when going back there, but uh, came up short of my own expectations. But they're really, really good at it. They're very passionate about it. And those builds that they build out there are, are second to none in the world for that style of racing. And out here in the West, we don't have any great TT tracks. Are they building hybrids? Are they making traditional old school builds? Both. And they have classes for both. And they have open class where they see old school ones that have some new products on them. You go against the hybrid ground up garage builds. And they're all impressive. And it's really neat to see um, different ones win from year to year. And there's some great pilots back there that seem to, like everywhere, they take win on the what they're on. Uh, right. They have those kind of guys out there. Uh, the halls are kept on and that style racing for quite a few years. And, but their builds are, are unique and different, and the setup for TT on a three-wheeler is no different than a quad. I mean, I, I don't can't, and the racing I've done, that setup is more important on TT than any place else. I mean, it's crazy. Different one tires two pounds heavier than the left side, and it goes around the corner. There's so much to it that I still don't understand and get an obligation. But they got it almost massive back there. It's really neat to go back there and see a whole other world. It's just as passionate, if not more passionate, about it than we are out here on the west. That's a, that's excellent to know that that they're doing that. Uh, we I, you know we need to get involved with those guys as well and bring them into the circle so that we can. You know, promote the three wheelers from a different angle because we're West Coast and we're talking about rocks and hills and trees and you know just all of the environment that we ride in and everything's suspended and ground clearance and durability, which they got to have the durability for TT racing, but it's not the same kind of durability. Yeah, it's it's a fifteen minute almost full throttle and most of the track kind of motor, and you can build a motor completely different to go fast for 15 minutes and go down the last 20 minutes and you can racing more cars for 200 miles and an hour straight. Yeah, that's a totally different perspective from a builder's point of view. But nonetheless, impressive in the same route. You know, it's just as impressive, just a different style. Right. And some of those guys, you know, we need to get their opinions on what they're doing and how they're doing it because we're locked into thinking that we're doing it the greatest ever here. And back there, they're doing something that they're believing is, is the greatest ever. You know, there, I would love to know if we could ever find out where the first 
always finish. <laughs> That's why towards the end of the race, I always tell people who've never done Vegas for you. The last 40 miles are going to suck. You have a really neat idea of that course because you've Ironman it. You've done it all. You know what every section is. I have. I've done it three times. I have not done all the sections. He doesn't know all the sections. Yeah, I grew up right there. There you go. Backyard. Huge advantage. Huge advantage. I don't know all the sections. I've been in Barrier for 30 years. That's the secret. But I mean, you race it 10 times and you probably know those sections from being up there so much and can match riders up with sections real well. But we still haven't developed that. We're, we're figuring it out. Yeah, we're still <laughs> well, I've raced it quite a few times, and, and I've ridden different sections, but I've gotten to race it on a on uh, two or three different types of four-wheelers, as well as I raced it on a motorcycle. Um, and being on the sideline, being the guy that built the machine, um, that has a whole different perspective as well. And wow, you, you get a, a sense of the worst thing in the world is becoming a racer. And then build sitting on the sideline watching these guys race. That's the worst thing in the world. Once you get past that, then you can be more objective and relax and understand that it's it's not about you, it's about them. And you gain a new perspective and a new respect. Uh, because I never can go as fast as those guys. I was never at that level. You know, people I'd like to think that. <laughs> no, I wasn't. You know. You get to race with Eichner and Josh Rowe, some of these other fast guys, and you just like, wow. Yeah. I think we all aspire to be a Hagsma or somebody. You know, right. But yeah. 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 You, you know, let's, let's change. Question, guys. Um, promotion. How are we going to promote ourselves? Uh, I know this is a promotion in its own right, but when you're not on a show like this or you're not sitting down and talking on a podcast, um, dirt Wheels is a great outlet. We all benefit by Dirt Wheels, but they can't cover us all the time. So, if we're going to get together and we're going to do this from bringing the back east guys to the west and west coast guys to the east coast guys, how are we going to grow the promotion? I think uh, I think it takes uh, you know kind of just a grass, grassroots uh, effort, you know, um, because they're really. I mean, Look at it from a financial standpoint. None of us are really benefiting from, from doing this. It's just fun to yeah, do, fun and passion. And so uh, I don't, you know, I promote quite a bit of the desert racing stuff, but I don't. There's no kickback. I don't get paid. I don't, you know, uh, they don't cover my entry fees or anything like that. You don't but, get paid. Yeah, no. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You do this for the sheer love of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. I'm slightly yeah. silly. <laughs> I don't know what I'm you know, we all—we yeah, no, <laughs> all, we all uh, promote this because we can. But none of us are promoters. None of us can honestly say we're good at promoting this. We have the internet and that's a tool. We reach out to people and, and try to get them involved. And I've uh, done that. And we all do that. We all have connections on the internet. But we—we we definitely can improve on that. And if anyone has any ideas to give right now, let's hear it. So, so let's go backwards a little bit on promotion. Three-wheelers in the 70s and 80s grew at a massive rate, and there was no internet. Right. Yeah. Okay? It was word of mouth and magazines. Yeah. So we have a better system to reach millions of people. So what are we lacking? I don't know if it's excitement, you know, because the three-wheelers 
I think most people think of thrillers, they think of the machines, you know, and, and I think a lot of the younger guys these days, uh, are, you know, they're into the sci-fi sides and whatnot, and, uh... It's a dirty word. <laughs> I can't stand sci-fi sides, personally. <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, uh, just getting the younger generations into it, I think uh, a lot of times when I'm out, and, you know, I go right uh, back by my house, so there's, there's some tracks back there, and there's tons of kids, and we pull up, and every one of them just thinks it's the coolest thing ever, but somehow get those guys over it. It's a little harder because you can't just go to the dealership and buy one. You know, I get asked that all the time. Like, where can I get one of these? I'm like, well, you can't. You gotta build it. Yeah, I built this thing, you know. And uh, you can start off with that, you know, with a, with a vintage one, you know, but they're, they're so expensive a lot of times, you know, for, for something that you're going to be competitive with. It's also hard because they don't, there's no more youth three-wheelers. You know, they used to make the 70, which is still probably the most sought-after ATV in the world. And then you have uh, Yamaha made a little three wheeler, tri Z, a little yeah. little bitty tri Z, tri Z, tri Z, or six tri Z, yeah, yeah. okay, two stroke fifty. Uh, uh, those were even a fifty. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, like tiny little bike. Okay. There's one of them for sale. Yeah, you got a guy right here. Yeah, so we have to take our grassroots movement on the internet and form a better community and we need to bring the east and the west together in this build because it doesn't matter if we're gt racing or desert racing motocross whatever i believe that to promote three-wheelers the communities have to come together and we have to come together whether we're this x builder or y builder or this engine builder or that engine builder and we come together as some unity and respect all one another in a way that promotes us and, and brings it out that, okay, we are an extreme sport. So let's get that out of the way right now. Yes, it's extreme. You can get hurt riding three-wheelers. Wear your proper gear. Take the instruction from the people that know how to ride them. And make sure that you're doing everything you can to be as safe as possible. But three-wheelers are a lot of fun. Super fun. They're a lot of fun. And I think a big difference is as far as coming together is the race community for some reason is different than the collector community because I'm, I'm a part of both the collector community with three wheelers we all come together we're all looking for specific bikes specific parts original bikes i mean you know you post up an original you know mid-condition 350x and everybody has good things to say about it it's all good comments you post up that you did good in a race, and you get all the negative guys coming out, the keyboard warriors that have never even raced before. And so somehow as racers, we need to like, figure out what's going on in the collector community and get the same thing going. I think that's how we can help build it. Well, with the collector community, they also don't like the non-original stuff. Not necessarily. I mean, they prefer, they, they collect the original stuff. It's not like they don't like it. I mean, they appreciate it. They understand, especially if it's for racing purpose, they appreciate the modern stuff, but they're not necessarily going to collect it. But what I'm saying is, no, what I'm saying is, is, is you have the guys that are the extremists yeah. that are going to talk bad about, you know, well, we took our 86 R and we did this mod and that mod, right. and they're not going to appreciate that, and we need to get over that. You just need yeah. any three wheel. Yes, everybody's different. I mean, he, you know, obviously Dave is a racer, but he might not be right. He might just be a hardcore collector that just likes them all original. 
but he should still be able to appreciate me if I'm racing that I have to put these parts on to make it a race bike. Right. And vice versa. You know, if, if I'm not a racer and I just want to collect it, then you should think, hey, that's cool. You're preserving a piece of history. Right. You don't necessarily, you know, guys get mad at, not necessarily me because I do both. I collect and race, but the guys that just collect, they're like, well, you need to take that knee on, ride it. I disagree with that because if you go out and ride it, eventually it's going to dry up, you know, so, you, you know, I want to have these things around for another 50 years. So, you need, you need to understand and enjoy both, is what I think. Well, I think it's just riding these 350X is sorry about that. Yeah. And you can't buy parts for them. You can't find parts for them. Yeah. You can. To a point. But no, if you take a pristine bike, I mean, here's the thing. A rear fender is, is worth over $2,000 for a nice original rear fender. You can't take that out and ride it and break that rear fender. So, but there's an aftermarket company that's been in business for 40 years that's still making these fenders, the aftermarket fenders. Throw those on, go ride it. When you get it home, wash it up, throw your original fender back on. Right. Well, I think there's a difference, too, in, in taking something that's absolutely a mint machine and going and beating that up versus... What I like to do is I always find, like, on my vintage stuff, the stuff that I race, like, my 350X, it was not a nice machine when I got it. I paid $900 for it, and that was probably twice what it was worth back then. Um, but, I mean, it had been painted six different times with rattle can, and, I mean, it was just, and I took, I take something like that, and I build that into a race machine. You know, I'm not going to take something that's, that's pristine, right, exactly. like that, and yeah. take it out in the desert, that's not going to happen. Right, right. Um, so, uh, and there's some guys do that. They, and I think that's what some, I call them bean counters, the guys that really care about the original stuff. Um, I think they think that we're taking nice machines and then going out and beating them up. Um, so right. guys do do that. Right. It's just not how No, there, there is. I mean, there's plenty of parts, especially, like he said, you, you can find an old beater for, the price is going up now, maybe $1,500. You find a running old 350X, 250R. There's plenty of parts available to turn into a nice looking machine a functional machine, and even a race machine. Those parts are available, and maybe people don't understand that. Maybe that's why they're not getting into it as much. as they're well, not That's why that someone can get in touch with you, and you can teach them the avenues to find those parts. Absolutely. If you don't have them yourself, you're like, hey, call this guy over here. He probably has that rear axle you're looking for. Yeah, you could build a bike. I mean, it would cost you a fortune if you did piece by piece, but you could literally start today and buy every piece you needed and build a three-wheel. Yeah, and build it the way you want. So, so let me ask you this. How do the collector sellers get together and form a dealer list of of you guys and, and being dealers of of all these uh, exotic parts? Right. So you get together and we have to be able to spread that out so that everybody can find you. One of the problems that we're having with the three wheeler stuff, nobody can find anybody because the network isn't working together. The network is, is fractured from your users to your collectors and your sellers. Okay, you have three different groups and you're not working together. Yeah, that's key. So exactly. We can figure that out to, 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 to get everything you know combined and everyone knows right where to go. I, I think we help things out a lot. Another thing that I think that we're not touching on enough is your three-wheeler racers um, and I'm going to use you as the example as far as professionalism. You're always professional. You're courteous. You're always well-spoken. You're always out there talking to fans. You're willing to put yourself out and be exposed in a professional manner. And you carry yourself well. So we need that. We need all the three-wheeler people, whether you're a recreational guy or a racer, 
or a dealer, we need more professionalism so that the consumer that's not a three-wheeler person understands that it's not some freaking whacked-out dude that's crazy riding a three-wheeler. I know, Dave. I know that. I know that once they get to know you, they're going to be a little scared. But hey, the, the fact that he's Italian, hey, he's not. He's safe. He's not going to hurt you. Um, I, I think that we don't have enough professionals. Yeah, this, um, you know, the, the three-wheeler history, the fact that they were banned, I'm going to use the other word, outlawed, all these things. They weren't outlawed, they, they weren't, they weren't banned. banned necessarily, but they just said that they couldn't make them anymore. Again, and there's some people that don't truly, truly know the real logistics of the history that like to take that, I'm a tough guy, I'm an outlaw, I ride a three-wheeler still, we, we drink and we smoke and we do this and this and that, and that is doing nothing but hurting right. the big picture of what we're all trying to do, and that is to have fun on these machines, whether they're old or new, or the next thing coming out in the future. Um, we all have to realize, whether we like it or not, we're all under the microscope. When you've got a three-wheeler that depends on a racetrack, everybody's noticing that three-wheeler. I've got a guy driving by on a or a dirt bike, you can see on the corner of the eye, you don't even pay attention yeah, three wheelers are under the microscope so much more today than probably ever, ever, because it's so rare. It's a unicorn. A unicorn goes running across it right here in front of our camera. We're all going to be shocked. Right. Yeah. If a fly flies on the side of the stage, none of us are even going to notice it. Well, I think there's, there has to be a. Uh, I, I think because we're we're under that microscope, uh, you know, you have to be you have to be professional. But I think guys can can do it in such a way where we prove that. Um, it takes a specific skill set, obviously, to ride one of these things, but it can be done safely. We proved that every day. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't think they're any more dangerous than, than anything else out there. Honestly, I think my dirt bikes are far more dangerous, you know, personally. You guys already know this, but the, the people listening probably don't. This is an awesome fact. In Vegas, you know, probably the toughest race in America. The highest percentage of vehicles that started the race and finished the race in a class was three weeks. And the injury rate for three wheelers was zero yeah. because nobody got hurt. A lot more guys got hurt on the dirt bikes. And the quads. And the quads as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and, and these machines. But then we didn't even, wait a minute, we didn't even talk about the injuries in the side by sides in the trucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you know they happen. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. So, <laughs> so if you, they're no more dangerous than anything else. I mean, really, if, you know, if you're not comfortable, you don't want to ride one, don't ride it. But if, if you're comfortable, if it's something, it's, it's easy to learn how to ride. In, in my opinion, not more dangerous than anything else you're going to do as an extreme sport. I mean, skateboarding, mountain biking, snowboarding doesn't matter. There's plenty of injuries. In it. I, I, I don't want to ever use that. They're dangerous as an excuse. Absolutely not. Everything's dangerous. Yeah. In your car, yeah. the death rates in cars over overshadow this amazingly. So there's an agency out there that tracks all this stuff, and there's numbers that they produced for the three-wheeler industry are massively skewed. Um, so you have to take that into consideration. Uh, we're, I'm trying not to go there in this show uh, because I really don't like this agency, and I'm not going to bring them up. But in the past, it started all of the negative relations, public relations with three-wheelers. Uh, the numbers they put out on three-wheelers were massively skewed, and there's different things that they do cover that have a... 90 or 89% rate of injury, massive injury, critical, life-changing injury, 
Uh, they don't do anything about it. They don't even have a regulation. And it's pretty awesome to the train. So we need to regulate it more ourselves with our professionalism. And knowing that it's an extreme sport, everything's extreme. Four-wheeler racing is extreme. Motorcycle racing is extreme. Car racing is extreme. You're not going to do anything exciting in any form of off-road racing or asphalt racing or... <laughs> that's pretty I, I am a horn on that tree. Yeah, I mean, is there on the track? <laughs> 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 uh, so, extreme sports, uh, you take the guys that are doing the, the stunts, the tricks, on the motorcycles and the three-wheelers and the four-wheelers. Uh, well, I don't see, do they do stunts on three -wheelers? I'm sure they do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Some of the circuits, they have uh, a guy that rides a three-wheeler and does backflips on it. That's freaking awesome. I haven't seen that yet. i got to look that up. Uh, so we need to take that into consideration. That we also warn people, hey, this is an extreme sport. If you're going to do it, you need to wear the proper safety gear. Get the proper education on how to ride a three-wheeler. Yesterday, I was out riding multiple different three-wheelers. I haven't ridden a three-wheeler in a desert environment. You know, it was a lot of fun. And I adapted to the old-school ways of, you know, body English moving, getting your butt off the seat to get it to turn. The, the great thing about the modern three-wheelers is these machines actually allow you to use less body English to get them to work. Where when I rode the older school machine, I had to throw more body English into it. Working harder. Yeah, but you had to work harder to get them to work good. Um, but that being said, if you get a chance to go out and ride one of these modern three-wheelers, you're going to love it. Especially if you're less skilled because they have taken into consideration control. They're controllable. Uh, yes, you can still throw yourself on the ground. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I instantly noticed when we went through the rough terrain that it wasn't so tippy. It wasn't so, you know, it didn't bounce. It didn't seem to have some of the same negative condensation. Uh, that the old school machines had. Four years technology. Yeah. One, one of the things, too, if you guys are listening, and, uh, whether you're a recreation rider or a, a racer or someone that wants to get better on a quad, the best tool, think of a guy that races both, the best tool that you can go get is get yourself a three wheeler and go do some figure eights and some turns. And once you can figure out how to make that three wheeler turn smoothly and nicely and take those same skill sets and put it on a quad, you will be a much better quad rider. Yeah, exactly. Much better. I mean, one of the things that I, when I want to train a rider, one of the things that I want to go do with them is I want to take them out on a pillar and do figure eights. Because once I teach them about body English and, and how they need to move, you can take them and transition into full trance. And if you use your body English correctly, you can make that happen. I think that's one of the appeals to the trailers, too, because you're here. You know, just sit on it. It's not just a couch. You just sit there, you know, steer and break and turn. On a trailer, you're really, I mean, you got to, you know, when my feeling is anybody can jump in a side-by-side -side ride it. Anybody can jump on a quad and ride it. Not everybody can jump on a three-wheeler and ride it. I yes, mean, they can. You, you, you can, can go 
seamlessly hop on and go. Like you can't hear anybody. Yeah. And they're all kids. You hop on a side by side and go down, you know, the road or around the track. You have to learn, and that's why I love them so much. Is because you have to learn. You have to use body English. You're more part of the machine. It's not. You're not just driving the machine. You become part of it, and you have to learn that. You have to learn the skills, and it. And once you do, it makes it more fun. Absolutely. So there's videos out there that are portraying these machines as you're just sit on it and steer. Yeah. And, and, and that's why they're dangerous. No. And, and, and that's where if you take and you look at the more expert guys that have written three-wheelers and the, the things, the skill sets that they learn, made the Sundal slide, you know, where it, you know, his heels holding on the defender and his whole body's off to the side. I mean, there's real deal to that. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot more skill. There's a lot more skill involved. Yeah, for sure. And it's more fun. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I did have a great time. Uh, do I want to go do that uh, game tomorrow? No. Uh, it's solely due to because if, if you watch me stand up today, that would be like a giveaway. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's solely because I'm out of riding shape. But, gosh, take your skill level to the next. You know, jump it. Go ride a three-wheeler. Uh, Davey Hags, four-wheeler champion and works, went back to, to the Nationals on a, on a four-wheeler and got third in the MX. And this goes from the West Coast guy to the East Coast, which is unheard of, you know, from an off-road standpoint to going to a motocross standpoint and doing that well. Yeah. yeah, he's working super fast. And then he jumps on a three-wheeler and goes out and dominates Absolutely it's amazing, you know. And we can all talk about the quality of the machine and this, that, and the other thing. The quality of the rider made that machine way better. I think that's one of the things that we all agree on is the quality of the rider 90% of the time come to the top regardless of the machine on all of these machines have strengths and weaknesses and uh, a good rider can figure those out and learn ways to overcome that to get the job done and I think if you ride three wheelers and then go ride four wheelers you're going to adapt to that four wheeler yeah, sure. yeah. you're going to have little techniques and little tricks that the average guy that just started on the quad doesn't have right and it's going to give you an advantage well if you watch a lot of the guys that ride quads they ride yeah. Right there, right in the center of the seat, straight back, you know, hold on to the handlebar, don't move, move. Yeah. and they let the bumps attack them. And you can't ride a three-wheeler like that. No. No. What sort of you try our, our worst. Yeah, yeah. Our worst. Yeah. Our worst, yeah. But uh, as far as making a smile on my face, and I think everybody at this table, you're not, but we all smile more on the way we have to do I did have to use some of your dusters for you. Some, but you know, when I was following you, all that dust is going to kill me. I think uh, the dirt bike guys and the quad guys, again, I keep going back to this. They need to jump on a three-wheeler and give it an honest try. I think you'll find yourself smiling a lot. That's the thing that's it's just crazy is, is people perceive, too. You know, I get, every time I come into the pits or you know, after a race, they're like, oh, you're crazy, man. And I'm like, it's not that bad. It really isn't. Like, especially the dirt bike guys, that's what blows me away, is they, they, they say, you're nuts, and I'm like, you have that much tire, I have that much, you know, so I, you know, you go through the rocks and stuff, I mean, I just hammer down through the rocks, it's smooth. I agree with them, you are crazy, you go over 500 miles by yourself. Julian and him, oh man, they, these guys are oh, tough, tough, tough individuals. Wow. Um, I have a whole newfound respect for all of you after riding the machines. Uh, but in, in that same note, 
those bikes, those modern day bikes, you guys get to race. That's a whole different level of, of cool because I'm still comparing the old 250R days, you know, because I started out riding the 200X, which is a great machine all the time, right? And then you jump into the 83, 84, 250R, which um, in some ways, if you think about it, that might work really well. It did. It, 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 it just had too much power for the suspension. <laughs> you know what? Well, I, I, I did better on the 8384 than I ever did yeah, on the 586. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. those were good machines. You know, yeah, it, it was a great. It was a great bike. You know, I think the, the average places, the riding spots of where we all like to go ride, are popular to say are so much rougher today than they were then. I mean, I remember riding that one pin at one five eight and smooth sand anywhere I wanted to go without ruts. Now, now it's chopped up on the side by side and there is no smooth dunes anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the desert's the same way. It's a different, the average trail in the desert today is so much different than it was 30 years ago when these machines were coming around without suspension. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Vintage stuff too. I think for the average rider, they can get on any machine, whether it's a modern one or a vintage one, and go out and have fun and, and, and do just fine. But, uh, and nothing Financial 
backing to go to the government and say, hey, you need to take the handcuffs off of them. Right. Yeah. This is false. And this is why, because it's so expensive to go fight that legal battle in, in, in the government. And I really think that we could do that and win if we have the backing. If it's somebody, we just have the, the, the dollars or the, the, the legal person that was willing to take it and run with it. I think that we could get it overturned and basically and move forward. I agree, because, because it's so easy to find the falsified information when you go look for it. Because I did... You know, some research on my own and found a bunch of this assault. This isn't right. This was a lie, and they're talking about it on the, the news that they put out was all lies. You know, and there's no personal accountability in in a lot of the stuff that they did. People were not taking the personal, you know, the personal responsibility for their actions on these machines. If you throw your leg over anything, it's you. When you get behind the wheel of it, it's you. And if you don't teach your children this, which I know that all of us here teach everybody that we talk to, that it's your responsibility to take care of your passenger if you're in a side-by-side or in a truck or a car. It's your responsibility if you throw your leg over the three-wheeler, the four-wheeler, or the motorcycle. You know, you got on it. You didn't put your helmet on it. You didn't put your safety gear on Or you fell down. It's on you because you chose to ride. Absolutely. I mean, when you get in a car accident, who blames the car? Nobody. Nobody blames well, they the do. Well, well, the, the car is three-wheeler. It's always a three-wheeler. It's never the person's fault. And this was what happened back in the day is putting 10-year-olds on 250Rs. Guys with no helmet, tank top, flip-flops, and a bearing bears, riding the 250R at the river bottom, flipping over. Oh, the machine's dangerous. It did hurt me. It broke my leg. No. You broke your leg. So, and that's, that's an idiot. Guys, when you're posting your videos on Facebook, this is the biggest thing I'm seeing today. And you're hanging wheelies in your parking lot with no no helmet on, no gear whatsoever, thinking you're cool. You're the reason why we're having problems. Exactly. That is not cool. It's not professional either. That is what causes it. I mean, that's what, this is why three wheelers got taken away from us in the first place. Please be responsible, be respectful, and show you know, good videos, wearing helmets, and, you know, it's just hurting us. It's the same thing with the, with the formula industry. You see the guys riding through, they're on the grab bar, you know, no helmet, doing tricks. Put a helmet on. Put some safety gear on. Do something to help us because all you're doing is fueling the antis that we're bad. Yep. Professionalism, I know that you get clicks. I know that you're getting likes. I know that you're getting views. Okay, I get it. I get that you're trying to promote your social media coverage, but promote it in a, in a fashion to where you're not fueling the government to shut us off. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I do mean, it, do it smartly. Do it you'll, get, you'll get just as many likes, if not more, with a helmet on because I'm not liking you when you're not having it. You'll get my like when you got a helmet on doing that stuff. But when I got the helmet on, how do they see this sexy Are great. 
I get it because I'm on a social media deal myself. But you'll not see us promoting things like that because it shouldn't be done. We all know that the social media is an amazing tool to promote anything. We're doing our job there. But you mentioned something that got to keep going back to before there was social media. People across this country knew where the races were and what dates they were. And, and what a, in your opinion, because you were around back then, have a better reflection on it. What are we missing today that we can go back to the grassroots and back capacity to get the word out there? Communication. Yeah, absolutely. But that's right here. Talking to people. I agree. That's it. That's how I got everybody's, it. Everybody's walking around like this. Yeah. Put yeah. this damn thing down and talk to somebody. When I got my yeah. first three wheeler in 1983, I knew I knew I loved the three wheeler. I knew I loved to ride it. I knew nothing about races. I didn't even know they raced three wheelers. Other than probably that's maybe about the same time I got my first dirt wheels and started reading that and figuring it out. But my friend said, "Hey, my dad took me last month. We went to this race. It was awesome. You should do it." Guess what? Next month, me and my dad were there. Haven't stopped racing since. I mean. Communication, there was no cell phones, there was no nothing. It was a buddy telling me, hey, come check this out. Yeah. And I think that's what we try and do. I mean, with social media, you and I are always supposed to, hey, there's a works race this weekend. Come check it out, guys. The difference is people aren't doing it. Yeah, but, but social media stops. The chain breaks. You have to go out and face-to-face talk to people. You know, do you know your neighbors? We used to know our neighbors because we went out and talked to people. We need to go out and talk to more people. You know, when you're at the 7-Eleven, with your criminal in the bed of the truck, talk to people. Well, that's a perfect time. You go to a gas station, you will, people will flock to you. When you have your three-wheeler in the back of your truck and you're getting gas, people will flock to you. And that's what you got to tell them. Hey, I'm, where, what are you doing? I'm going racing. I'm going out to race this thing. You should come check it out. And I've actually had people come check out yeah. the races in local towns because they see you. They, had, they knew nothing about it because yeah. the promoters aren't doing anything about it. But they saw you and then they come out. I mean, the Havasu is a great one. You go to Havasu, that's a big motorsports oh, town. Yeah. And they don't even know there's a race going on that weekend until they see you, and then they come out and check it out. And that's the, that's the bummer, and I'm going to put kind of the associations on the hotspot here, sorry, but, uh, you know, we go to these small towns, these races, and, and all the time we pull into the town, and we're at a gas station or something, oh, what's going on? And, and the locals have no clue that there's like a major race in your town. Yeah. You know, there'd be hundreds of people coming into your town this weekend. They yeah. knew nothing about it. And there might be three or four local kids in each one of those towns, or even one or two, that would maybe even join us if they knew about it. Yeah. For sure. Well, you look at the ground. Baja. Yeah. Just word not spreads across the deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like wildfire. Oh, yeah. And they expect you in Baja, they expect you to post like the race course and stuff. So the locals know where to go to go watch these. Yeah. And they do. That but they also word them out. They already know before it comes out on social. They already know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because they're talking to one another. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's a social media string, a text string, or yeah. whatever it is. But also, you still have a community that talks to one another. Yeah. We've lost that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the Western states, we've lost it a lot. Yeah, because everybody picks up their damn phone and okay. ignores what's going on. And we need to get back to grassroots communication yeah. where we're not afraid to throw our machine in the back of our truck and drive down to the local store or drive down to the local community. Yeah. Get involved getting involved with schools and places where young people are. I remember being able to take the machine to the school and talk to the kids, you know, and there again, you have to present the safety portion of it, you know, with the safety gear and the, the 
going to a professional to learn how to ride, or not even a professional, somebody who has the skill set to teach you. Yeah. And, and because they don't have professional schools for this. And we, they used to, you know what? Maybe that's something we should look into. Maybe there's some way we can come up with a new, you know, three wheeler riding school. I mean, it could be something like ongoing, you know, maybe a couple times a year. Maybe we do it two times a year and promote it, and, you know, for starting out in Southern California and Arizona. And, you know, get, even if we got 20, 30, 40 kids, would be great. Yeah, that would be great. That, you know, and, and you could send the flyers to the schools to, you know, if the schools would allow, yeah. I mean, that's just, it's just so touchy. The schools that they were motorcycle shops. It might be this yeah. grassroots thing where, you know, you print off much easier. You take them to your local shops and pin them up. Hey, this race is going to happen. Or, uh, school or, you know. Yeah. yeah, your dealerships don't even, you don't even want to promote local racing for motorcycles or anything like that because they don't do any of that. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's where the, the grassroots conversation happened was at your local motorcycles. Oh, I'm the Yama, Kawasaki. They actually had high school race teams back in the seventies. Like high school had a more race teams. Yeah, race teams. There you go. I mean, that went away. Just like auto shops have gone away and all that other stuff. Yeah, they take all the good stuff out of school. Yeah, all they're teaching is well, the kids don't even go to school anymore. You sit at home in front of your computer all day. You don't even physically go to school. You don't have that. Yeah, homeschool. Yeah, the local shops even support riders anymore. Do they have race support? Not really. Yeah, I remember when, when I was young, I was supported by local Honda dealership. I would go in there, I'd buy my machine, they'd support me, give me discounts, and yeah, I don't, I don't go into dealers a lot anymore because they don't sell bikes I like. But I don't think they're doing any of that anymore. Very little, very little. I'm actually sponsored by uh, a local shop in Reno, uh, and I was sponsored by a previous shop since '94, actually. Um, but it's just like a little discount, you know. But the actual but dealer or the dealer or a mom and pop store? Well, uh, yeah, not dealer. But yeah, that's, I'm not I'm talking dealer. That's yeah, like, I can't go into right now and say, hey, I've been racing, you know, these five machines. You know, yeah. you guys want to sponsor me. They, 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 they don't care. No, they don't care. And that, and that hurts us as well because your independents yeah. are carrying the industry again. Yeah. You know, because the factories have let us down. Yamaha makes the only ATV that you can buy. Uh, whether it be a 450 or a 700, but your independents are actually carrying the industry there. And, and that's one of the problems, I think, with promoting thrillers is they're not relevant. You can't buy them. They don't make them. Well, we have to understand that. I mean, the manufacturers aren't making money. The ATVs aren't relevant because you can only buy them from Yamaha. So the independent guy, and, and everybody goes, well, the factory, the factory. Well, you know what? The factories have, excuse my language, shit on us since the beginning. Yeah. And everybody thinks the factory ride is the key. No. The best ride is to go to a, a company that believes in the industry, believes in what they're doing, and has a purpose. Yes, it's their livelihood, but they, well, their livelihood came from the passion and the love of the sport. And that's where the growth comes from. And that's what we need to get back to instead of people need to start realizing your grassroots is where it all came from. You know, when, when we started racing, ATC 90s Honda wasn't involved. They sold the night. Yeah. You know, there, there's several different makes and models of little dirt bikes that I can go buy my little boy, little girl, but dirt bikes, I can go buy my little quad. You can't go buy the used market, yes, but to go someplace and buy a brand new little three wheeler, that doesn't exist. And I know. And it won't. It's, it is too bad. I mean, we just got a stigmatism because of the 80s and what happened. I mean, you know, 
kids and people that were born after that, they have no idea that if it's a bad seat system. So if Honda sold three wheelers today, and all of a sudden tomorrow they came with a whole new lineup, people would buy that. So if, if you go into a, an elementary school, let's talk third graders, and you put a quad motorcycle and a three wheeler in front of them and ask them, they're going to go to the three wheeler every time. Ask, ask, them, which ask, yeah. ask them which one's the safest. They'll probably pick the three wheeler. Because they had a big wheel. Yeah, they had a tricycle. So, tricycle. Big wheel tricycle. Yeah, let's check out this. Yeah, so, there you go. So, <laughs> so again, so that's to say that it's, and that's the problem with the sport today is they, they know the 80s. I don't think that's correct. I think the average third grader has no concept or clue and will never learn about what on in the 80s about three wheels. Right, that's, yeah, that's they, what, they don't think that three wheels That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Third grade, yeah, they would sell them because they don't know that. 100%. Yeah. 100%. They, they still sell tricycles. Yeah. Yeah, so. Big wheels. Big wheels. Yeah. Tricycles. Fifty percent of the people that I talk to, like out on the street, you know, I tell them I race three wheelers, and people three wheelers, and they don't even understand. Like it takes a minute. I'm like, it's like a quad, like a four wheeler, yeah. with single front tire. And they're like, they they still make those? You know, they don't even they just don't know. Yeah. You know what it is or what we're doing. And, and yeah, I, I think that it's our job to promote the three wheeler in a, in a positive, positive light. Yeah. Because it's also our job to fight off. What sixty minutes did to us? Well, that's yeah. You know, because those sixty minutes is ultimately the false reporting they did, and, and the lie that they portrayed is what helped cause all this. But we're, we're still suffering forty years later from what yeah. happened in four wheelers. The four wheeler industry, yeah. because the factories are still afraid of the the four wheelers, and the, the race tracks that you go to are afraid of the four wheeler. Well, the four wheeler community actually sabotages itself because you get a racetrack open and then allow and then nobody shows up. I hear, I hear almost weekly, you know, people say, aren't those things illegal? And I have to crack them immediately. I mean, I just, I just tell them, absolutely not. They never have been illegal. They, they, you know, they, they, there was a temporary ban on new sales. That was it. They're not outlawed. They're not banned. You know, you, you can sell them. Uh, you just live in a free country and they ban that's what I'm saying would yeah. never happen today, and it's too bad that it did happen, and we can't reverse it, but we can just move forward and try and, you know, it, it's not grown. I mean, I, I've, I've been in it the whole time. I've seen the ups, the downs. I mean, early 2000s, nobody was doing anything with them. They weren't riding them. They weren't racing. They weren't doing anything. We've come a long way, you know, in that 15 years after, since then, we've come a long way, and we just have to keep working, you know, on it. So, who knows? In, in 10 years... Maybe something will happen. Maybe we will be producing. I got a challenge, and I'll take it on to myself, or you guys can take it or leave it. But I have a challenge. We need to all find somebody who's actively in the motorsports already, like a quad or something, and get convince one of them and mentor them and to get them on the machine. I mean, literally, whether it's just let them teach them how to ride that through around the pits at a race or in your backyard to kid down the street. Or, or something, and, and maybe that will develop into the next generation of us. Yeah, exactly. It's our job to carry the load to make it happen. And one of the problems we, we're sitting right here, you have three gray hairs and a young man. <laughs> you know, and, and we need we need the younger guys to 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 bring the younger people in. You know, with the children. You know, I don't know your kids ride children. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do they still ride? Well, yeah, I don't think about it enough, much as I should be. Yeah. They, they, you're part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids, are they ride through? Uh, my my little, well, yeah, they both ride my 350X. Um, they both want to ride. Um, so I have, I don't know, 15, 16 thrillers or so. Um, 
but a lot of them I've bought more recently, and so I'm restoring those, and I have, in the works right now, I have a 70 that's almost done, I have a 90 that's next, um, you know, and uh, get them on, you know, smaller machines where they can learn, and they're light, you know, and then we'll, and then, uh, and then we'll go from there. So, both well, well, my kids have already written through the DX. But that's not what we're trying to promote. Here we want to keep our young people on smaller machines. Yeah, so that see, we promote it correctly. I want to even though you're out there with them and you're controlling it. Absolutely, we don't want the we don't want your younger children riding the larger machines. Yeah, we need to build smaller machines. We need to get together with our collectors yeah. and get together with our builders and get some smaller stuff built yeah. so that we can go out there and promote that. Not didn't mean to put you on the spot like no, that. and I agree. I would never put my kids on three, on my three hundred and fifty X or anything like that and say, "Here you go, go, go." You know, tear it up. It's not a babysitter. No, yeah. When the couple times they have written it, I'm right there. You know, real close. We're even on the machine with them. You know, and uh, but yeah, and that's why I'm building the, the smaller ones. So they can do it in the safe manner. They can jump on the seventy. Oh, yeah. the ATCs, their ATC seventies are still readily available. The problem is. Grown men are buying them out, leaving their to collect them, or to scoop them underground. Then they have they have an ATC seventy get together at the dunes, and they'll probably have a hundred grown men on seventies, right? So yeah. there's plenty of them out there. The problem is the, 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 the adults are buying. ATV talk live on YouTube. Check us out. I know that if you have questions. Please ask in the comments section. If you need to get a hold of these gentlemen, they're available, and we can promote three-wheelers. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. What I just might want to mention is, uh, like, uh, Instagram. My, my Instagram is GoopTech, uh, G-O-O-B-T-C-H. ATC edition. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, just Google David Ham and Fredo Racing, and it'll come up all kinds of Facebook stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events. Builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world. And they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to duncantechinternational at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, 
Rumble, and Twitter.